The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and supernova, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. Tonight's feature is Prince of Darkness, the 1987 horror written and directed by John Carpenter, and my guest is Anthony Malone, who hosts me in his study during an unnatural heatwave. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? I'm very well. Good. Now, we have a tradition, I've discovered, that every time you're on the show... Me it's specifically. You specifically. Oh, of course. Uh, it's adjacent to a major event. Um, when we recorded Phase 4, it was the day before The Last Jedi was released, and the internet went all mad. Yes, indeed. And then the last time you were on the show, your car broke down, and has now been <clears throat> destroyed. It's gone to the great garage in the sky, but I valiantly fought through uh, the uh, South London traffic to get to you and Chris for yeah, our... Yeah, uh, it actually broke down bag. on your Literally. way to the recording. yeah. Um, I was at the lights and, in fact, and there was steam cuts not coming out. It meant that you were really late, and I was really late today <laughs> because on my way here. You sound remarkably pleased about this. I got, I got as far as getting onto the train when I realised I had the wrong cable. That's very And then I had to go true, all the way home again. Of course. So we're an, over an hour late recording this now. But um, we were talking just now about um, any adv- ideas you had for future podcasts mm. and. Well, your first idea was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, mm. which is obviously a terrible idea. Oh. But there's a fifth one coming up, as you know. Uh, a fifth indie. Yes. Um, regretfully, yes. And there was news this week that it's not going to make its proposed release that. date mm-hmm. of July 2020. So it's going to be Grandpa Jones and the, the Watsit of the Watsit. He's going to be older than the actor who played 100-year-old Indy <laughs> in the TV series. Well, fair play to Harrison Ford, because uh, you know, he must be in a fairly good state to be he, able to... He looks a good 10 years younger than he actually He certainly is. does. And um, who's... who's uh, Ali Mc... He's married to Ali McBeal, isn't he? Callista Flockhart, Who's a yes. lot younger than him, at least 20 years, isn't, isn't that? I'm sure there's a big age gap. Yes, I think she's in her early 50s. Yeah, so there's the answer. You know, find yourself an, a nice, intelligent, young, 20 years younger uh, young lady, and you'll end up looking like Harrison Ford. I can't see any problem in this. In fact, it's probably where I've been going wrong. 
Well, I would suggest that you hang around sixth form colleges more, but you've already been warned about I'm that. I'm sorry about that. I, I can't talk about that because of the restraining order. Mm. Yes. I've had an idea for a fifth Indiana, Indiana Jones film. Okay. I, let me just strap myself in. <laughs> um, well, to begin with, they've always taken their inspiration from the pop culture of what, whatever period it's set. Indeed so they the, have, yes. The cliffhanger series of the 30s, the mm. cypher movies of the 50s. So the next one ought to be set around 1970 to account for everyone's ages. Mm. So what better source material is there than Hammer Horror? Yes, okay, yes. So you've got Hammer Horror, you've got 1970. My idea is that uh, some... Sa- ah. Satanist hippies uh, want to use the spear of destiny or something. What you could? <laughs> what? <laughs> Satan hippies? Well, well, they wish. Uh, they want to. They want to use this to raise the act- Satan's spear. Did you say the spear of destiny? Oh, okay. Or right. like something like that. Yeah. One of these MacGuffins. Very phallic. To raise the devil, and. Uh, bring about the end of the world and sweep away the old order and the man and all that kind of thing. And out of retirement comes um, Pum- shambling derelict um, Indiana no, Jones. No, he's only seventy. He's mad or crazy. And and everyone thinks that these guys, they are oh, these are just you know nutter types. But Indy, Indy has actually seen the power of he God certainly has. firsthand. Yeah, as well, he barely I got know, out of I it. I know for a fact that God's real. The devil's probably real as well. That's true. We need to take this seriously. So Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones um, and his mixed with Dennis Wheatley, something like that. Exactly, that'd be quite good. Yeah, I could actually see that working. I'd I'd certainly go and see it. And um, you can have the 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 the, uh, the conflict between the old and the young, and Indy's sort of kind of old fashioned, but this old peace and love thing that doesn't sound too bad to him. Yeah, it's just you can say that just... and then punch someone in the chops. Exactly, that'd be good. Old man Ford. They could do a sort of Logan version of Indiana Jones. Oh, he doesn't die at the end. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Oh, he's not going to pass it on to bloody... By the way, people have tuned in to, to hear about Prince of Darkness. <laughs> oh, we'll get on to that. Don't worry, listener. Because, um... <laughs> speaking of the devil, Prince of Darkness... It, yeah, Indiana Jones and the Prince of Darkness. That's that's it. Well, I thought Indiana Jones and the Cult of Armageddon. I bet you I bet you this happens, because it's happened with you before, where you've pitched, what was it, uh, a gender-swapped weekend with Bernie's. And we got and, that, and film, that happened. Film with your favourite actress, Scarlett Johansson. With ScarJo, and I bet this, I bet Indiana Jones and the Prince of Darkness happens, and you and I will be here in about four years' time, absolutely kicking ourselves. Just put me in charge of everything. We need to be, we need to be running in Hollywood, basically. I know. Yeah, not in sitting in suburbia, <laughs> talking about. Speak for yourself. I'm living in my penthouse. Yes, well, I'm. I'm going to talk about place. it. I'm highly, highly envious. So, Prince of Darkness. The um, Prince of Darkness. Well, it's Prince of Darkness. What did you think of this then? So, uh, you want me to give us a little um, spoilerific uh, pricey of well, my? Well, we'll talk my about segment. the ending, yeah. But okay, but, yeah. so um, I liked it. Uh, is the short answer, and it's the first time I've seen it. And um, and I, as as I've taken to doing with these things, I wrote down my expectations of it beforehand, um, and um, I come to John Carpenter. I think slightly less of an as a crazed aficionado than you, because I understand you went to um, an actual concert. Yeah, I saw him play live at the Nigel Hotel Film Festival. And Limbo has done a a John Carpenter film 
before. We've do- yeah, we've done um, Escape from LA. Yeah. And we've done Halloween 3, which is Carpenter adjacent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, f- the Carpenter films I've seen are um, Dark Star. They live uh, recently, which I really liked. Um, I have seen Halloween. I watched that with my um, 16-year-old nephew, and we both loved it. Um, obviously, I've seen The Thing, one of the uh, the few uh, remakes, at least around that time, that really, really worked. Um, but what do you think my favourite John Carpenter film is? Um... I haven't seen um, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, you've got that as a treat to look forward to. Yes, I hear. I hear that's meant to be very good. I haven't seen Escape from either New York or LA. Oh, Starman. No, although I do have a copy of that, and I'm I'm quite looking forward to that. Cause it's got Karen Allen in it, hasn't it? That's, yeah, that's the indie connection. Oh, Karen Allen. <laughs> oh dear so it's it's uh, an important film for Jeremy so um, The Fog is the one that I really like and that's because I love lighthouses um, I, lo- I love the atmosphere oh you love lighthouses I don't love you? lighthouses I think they're very dramatic and they are um, uh, uh, I just think it's, it's brilliant and I know it goes bananas and there's a priest in it called Father Anthony who goes um, and there's a strange old man at the start who reads a ghostly story I think The Fog's very underrated but um so I, I come to this having seen those uh, John Carpenter films. I, I have a strange relationship with him. Um, I, I'm completely ready to um, acknowledge his place as, the, as a doyen of 80s horror cinema. I definitely think he's up there. Uh, I think he's really important. I think he's a very... Um, I think he was essentially the Guillermo del Toro of his, of his time. Um, in that del Toro really has, uh, has taken the whole... Uh, the genre aspects and the and the love of the monster and the darkness and turned it into Oscar-winning material for better or for worse, and he's ultra passionate about that. Carpenter was doing this back in the the eighties, and if you, and we're going to talk about Prince of Darkness, it is all over this film about the um, the the um, not not the connections to previous films or anything like that, but the the literariness of it. The um, the the dream theories the um, the psychological side of horror making all underneath a the devil's coming to town story so um, I I don't reach I'm not so, horror is not my natural genre it's not one, nothing I reach for and I have significant gaps I can't watch The Exorcist despite I all know, the Guy and Smith novels you own I know but they're not horror they're comedy um, <laughs> one, of them, one of them over there is called the festering I know it's brilliant if I He's still going strong, by the way, and he has a, a, a quite following. He's all on the internet. Anyway, um, Carpenter, I think his great days are probably behind him. He hasn't managed to translate his his filmmaking skills into into dramatic cinema the way that Cronenberg has, for example. Um, Cronenberg is a much more psychologically mm. based director. He's much more dispassionate, um, and he's more of an artist. Whereas Carpenter's more of a craftsman. Mm. He grew up watching monster movies. Howard Hawks Western. Yes, absolutely. Your high quality meat and potatoes entertainment. Yeah. He's I I wouldn't ever really have called him an artist. He's like he's like Thomas Chippendale. He makes absolutely. exquisite artifacts that are there for a purpose I rather than agree. something you hang on a wall to look at. And you and I are not the only people to think this. Uh, the most recent um, cinematic genuflection to Carpenter is is the Hateful Eight. Kurt Russell, oh, yes. Snowbound, and Quentin Tarantino has acknowledged that uh, uh, just how important the thing is um, to him. He loves that film. 
And I think quite right too. I think that's pretty much near perfect. Um, it's his masterpiece. Yeah, I think it's really great. Um, and I'm glad that I discovered the thing in the mid, in sort of the early mid '90s, just before it became reevaluated. Mm. And I thought, well, we thought this is a cracking this little is, film. This is really mm, good. And absolutely. then when I, by the time I actually got to read about it, people were saying, "Oh no, actually, this is really good." So, well, yeah, it is. I mean, it's annoying. That, is isn't that a it? surprise? Where you know something that suddenly becomes mainstream. Anyway. Um, so I this is the first time I watched Prince of Darkness. I've watched it a couple of times for um, for the podcast and for, for my note taking, and um, I really liked it. I got to about about fifteen minutes into it, thinking this is really working. I really hope it doesn't drop the ball. Um, it's um, it's just thoroughly entertaining, a good piece of of horror. I think it is very eighties. Um, my niece is currently mega into horror films. Um, I have taught her well, and. Um, I think, unfortunately, the eighties of this would be a barrier to entry for her. I think if, if she sticks to her um, her researches for the next few years, she might decide to go back into the back catalogue. Um, I did think one of the reasons that I haven't gone near this film previously is pure snobbishness. I thought this was a uh, director to VHS. Um, I, I thought this was going to be slightly rubbishy, a, a bit of his sort of. Um, experiment that, that failed. I was quite surprised that the whole thing hangs together absolutely completely. There's, um, I don't really think there's many misstep. Ah, well, there is one misstep in this film, which I think we'll talk about, but we'll get to him. Um, uh, but apart from that, yeah, I was, I was um, pleasantly surprised again. So, Cinema Limbo is just on a massive roll. Well, I. Uh... I'm not going to deny that Look I have Look at that grin one. on your face. The I'm delight. Gonna, I'm not going to deny that I have <laughs> More disciples taste. for the faith. You do, yeah. Um, so I've written down... Yeah, so I, would, I expected Carpenter synths. I expected to hear some of that. I, I definitely expected to see pre-CGI plastic fantastic effects. And I did see that. Um, I obviously expected to see the devil being summoned up. Um, and, and you sort of do... Well, we'll talk about that. Um, and then I thought, yeah, I, I said, I said it, it doesn't really strike me as a, a classic. I would say this is, this is, yeah, it's an underrated thing. It holds together like a Chippendale piece of furniture. This, it's really well crafted. Mm. Uh, it's, as you say, it has the the carpenter synths, but it doesn't have the the driving rhythmic no. theme. I mean, it does right at the end. At the end. Halloween's got the classic uh, movie soundtrack. But in this, yes, you don't come away thinking I must buy the soundtrack to this. Well, unfortunately, because in, in my rush I was throwing together a, a grab bag of articles, I do have the soundtrack. Oh, of course you do, Jeremy. Impo- why, why am I not? Imported from Germany. Dust. Um, Good. And um, it's a much more moody, atmospheric work. A bit more like The Fog, mm. I would say, in terms of the music. And it's <clears throat> very different from anything he'd done to that point because the the fog is something that skates by an atmosphere yes definitely I, I do think that the fog is a bit of a hodgepodge because Carpenter doesn't like it very much yeah and it was reshot and re-edited and it's bits of it work really yes, well yes it's no masterpiece I'd love the atmosphere and also it's a nostalgic thing for me watching it dead of night with my dad and getting scared of all the watching it at Christmas with your family um, I watched like, it years like, years like me and Chris did oh yes that was a weird little bit of synchronicity <laughs> wasn't it um, and the film starts with a very long opening title. Yes, it does. Um, um, interspersed with a few setup with scenes. With stuff. 
um, with set-up-y stuff. Just a question before we go into that. Why is this film called The Book Prince of Darkness? The Devil. Isn't The Devil or, or The Antichrist called The Prince of Why Darkness? Why is this film called Princess of Darkness? Because that would spoil it, wouldn't it? Because the devil is the devil and the Antichrist are traditionally male, and it's not that the Antichrist is female; it's the Antichrist has taken up residence in a female body. Because it's not the it's not the king; it's not Satan. The title doesn't allude to Satan. It's the Prince of Darkness, and it's the Prince who's meant to be summoning up the 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 um, anti God, the, the, the anti God himself. But it isn't a bloke who does that at the end of the film, and this film is all about the women. So I was thinking towards the... And also, there's one particular theme through this, which I think is very... Um, uh, which is a classic male-female dynamic, which we'll get to. But I, I, that's the question I'd ask Carpenter. Why Prince of Darkness? Is it just a... Re- oh, it's just Satan. I think so. I think calling it Princess of Darkness would imply that it's a very different film. Yeah. And also, uh, it's there's, there are particularly in the 80s, there were genre conventions and he's going for the, the boy audience. Um, he's He knows how to get people onto... On Bums or Seas. And let's face it, seat. Prince of Darkness is a bloody good title. It sounds like you know, Guns N' Roses um, album title or something like that. Or uh, Meatloaf. Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne. Why am I not surprised? It's Ozzy Osbourne's nickname. The Prince of Darkness? Yeah. Yeah, but of course it would be. It's not going to be Mr. Flower Dew, no, is it? Not, not Mr. Osbourne. So yeah, I, I did question that. Um, the film opens on a, a shot of the moon. Yeah, and we have the re- the recurring visual image. Well, all images are visual. The recurring image <laughs> of I love your insight. Um, the recurring image of a, a conjunction between yeah. the sun and the moon. So significant. Um, I don't. Well, I haven't really done much research into this kind of background stuff, to be honest. I confine myself to the film usually, rather than extra stuff. Carpenter isn't really one to go into huge, you know, mythological researches and things. I I get the impression he doesn't do a lot of back reading. But I think, even though he probably didn't sit down and go, right, I'm cracking out the young, um, I think these things are... um, There's almost a primal thing in it. So he's following his instincts. Exactly. So you start with the moon. Obviously, it's a horror film. But in dream theory, dream logic... The moon is female, it's the sacred feminine. The sun is male. We have a conjunction in this film, and the moon is going to come and basically blot out the sun. That's exactly what this whole thing is, the film is. It's about the battle of the sexes. And the battle of the sexes is shot through this film, and the battle of the sexes is occurring cosmologically. And you start on the moon, because this is about the female, and it ends with a shot of, of well, a spoiler alert, it's that woman who's uh, appearing again from the grave in the video footage, which is brilliant. Overanalysis? Well, my reading of it was it was more about the relationship between science and faith. Yes, there's definitely that. Much, that's, <clears throat> it's, it makes no uh, attempt to disguise that. Of course, the, yes. Because you can read a lot into Carpenter movies, but how much of it is deliberate and how much of it is just because he's going on instinct mm. and revealing stuff underneath like you can read a whole lot into the thing yes the bfi published a whole book about yeah how much you can read into the thing mm-hmm. but really it's i i think it's meant to be just a story of mm. how destructive paranoia is but i think as we go through it um we'll see a lot of um 
uh, allusions to to the battle of the sexes. Okay. Um, and and there's a lot of sex in this film. Um, and there's all kinds of carrying on. There certainly is. I was shocked. Um, and uh, so so we'll see if that's relevant or not. I I think the danger with this is sounding like uh, you're in Suits Corner. And and the second you start talking about uh, dream logic and and the sacred feminine, you think right, get get you to Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't particularly want to dwell on that. But I bet you anything, if the BFI produced a book and commissioned some academic to start talking about this film, they would have a field day. Well, the um, the book on the thing was written by Anne Bilson. I don't know the name. Is uh, she formerly, I think, of the Sunday Telegraph? Oh. Now, kind of freelance. Uh, critic. That wouldn't be my first choice. Resident, to... of, resident of Brussels, huge Carpenter fan. Okay. And the book is actually very it's, it's, it's one of the most entertaining bits of film analysis I've ever read. I've read a number of the, mm. the BFI classics books and some of them are unreadable gibberish. Mm. Mm. But hers is, is really breezy and Good. refreshing and change. As, as entertaining as it is informative. She's a very good writer. So anyway, that's that's what it starts on, and um... and we have we have get a little, we get visual exposition. There's all the way through the movie, it goes out of its way not to just explain things. You have people talking in roundabout terms, with people sort of monologuing about secrecy and this kind of thing, without saying, "Oh yes, there was a big conspiracy to keep all this quiet because you know if we found out the devil lived in a jar, you're, that would, that you're would go. right." And instead, instead you have Donald Pleasance looking very pained. And how great it is to see Donald Pleasance always. Um, Carpenter completely turned his career around. Yeah, I think... Wasn't he in um, Fantastic Voyage? Yes. That's the crazy one who goes nuts he was, on... He was on always playing villains. Yeah. And then he's cast in Halloween as... Oh, I'd a, forgotten a slightly shady, but oh, definitely on the side of good... Yeah, I'd forgotten that. ...character. And... He was like Carpenter's favorite actor. He's in Escape from New York as the the, the nasty president. He uh, was going to do um, the thing, but I think he was double booked with doing the the mayor of Casterbridge for the BBC. Well, that's a great thing to have so, double booked oh, okay. with the thing. Well, well, you're, you're busy doing the big yeah, prestigious I think he made show. the wrong choice. Okay, well, that. that's all right then. And so uh, Wilfred Brimley played his role. Oh, the, right, um, the, um, the chemist. And he did all the Halloween sequels, and um, I'm sure he did one other Carpenter film. He or seems to be he didn't. S- no, no, he someone didn't. who, like Cushing, who's, who just really connects with um, the horror genre. And it's always, yes. always he's just very, very watchable, uh, got a great presence, very well cast in this film. Um, you're right about the exposition. There is exposition. There's, there's stuff that uh, Donald Pleasant says about the sects and the guardians and all of this, but it is extremely lightly done. You never stay, no, no point do you think, hang on a minute, do I need to read the source material for all of this? No, it's, you're, you're given the bare minimum. Yes. And you can just fill in the rest Absolutely. yourself. And that goes for every, it's not just the crazy um, religious sect stuff, um, the stuff about the supernova. Mm. You're just given enough to know. There's been a big bang somewhere in space, which may or may not have something to do with what's going on. The collision of the ancient and the modern. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, and the, the, all the quantum physics stuff, um, which um, Victor Wong goes into. Uh, again, it's just very lightly done. I think it's just right. His character is named Birak. God, that's a sci-fi uh, name. Well, it reminds me a little of Paul Dirac, who was well, that's true, yeah. a major figure in um, 
quantum physics and cosmological research. And father of Adric. No one was Adric's father. <laughs> he just sprang he... from a, a marsh, marsh uh, fruit, did he? <laughs> Please don't do a popping sound in, with, with Adric's <laughs> name in the air. <laughs> I have to go and wash my fingers That's now. right. Um, and, of course, you notice the writing credit. Well, yes, let's let's talk about this because um, I you are much more steeped in in carpenter law than I am, but obviously the name of the writer leapt off the page. Now, being a complete idiot, I immediately thought that's strange. So, Quasimus is actually a legitimate surname of someone. How? What? What are the odds? Oh, yeah, it is. That's that's when Nigel Neal thought of it because he found it in the phone book and thought, ah, that's a good name. Oh, well, I'm pleased to hear that. That is what I thought. I am I right in thinking that um, this was Carpenter's uh, homage to uh, Nigel Neal, and Mister Neal, being the grumpy old fart that he was, was none too pleased and pretty nonplussed by this. Well, they had worked together before. Oh, really? On what? Halloween Three. Oh, for goodness' sake! Um, Neal wrote a script, which was massively rewritten yeah. by Carpenter and Tommy Lee Wallace, who was directed Halloween Three. To the extent that Neil took his name off it, and he was very unhappy. Yeah, but I think he probably would have taken his name off, frankly, his own script if he could have. <laughs> um, and Prince of Darkness, I feel, is a little bit like, even after the fact, oh, really? Carpenter's just reaching out to say, even though our professional relationship went very badly, Tip of the hat to I the still master. have huge respect for your work. Uh, okay, yeah. Or it could be uh, up yours. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think no. it, it's it's a very... it's a. It is a very sincere work of homage to, to Neil. Neil even gets a name check. Right. He, um, it's mentioned that uh, Catherine, the, the red-headed lead, yes. lead woman, she transferred to University of uh, America. I missed that. From, That's interesting. From Neil University. Oh, right. Okay. So, yes, that's the trend then. I look forward to um, seeing the writer's credit J.J. Snyder in, uh, in some forthcoming film. That will be... Uh, a nice tip of the hat to the master who's um, currently wrecking popular culture. Um, so you know that JJ are my initials, don't you? JJ Phillips. Yes. My goodness me, you've got movies through you like a stick of rock. I know. You can see where it gets in. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> I don't want to see what it gets out. <laughs> So we've, we're about half an hour into this podcast. Oh. We, haven't, we haven't managed to reach the <laughs> first scene yet. Yeah, okay. Um, Let's breeze along. So there's a dying priest. There is. Got a there is. Box. It's all a bit Dan Brownie at the start. Um, it's very, Dan Brown comes up in my notes. About oh well, yeah, I definitely sense a bit of that. Yeah. What you um, needed was Tom Hanks running around, and you'd be you'd be there. There are massing insects. Yeah. Thanks for that. Again. Oh yeah. Sorry about that. I forgot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, as I was watching this, I think thanks, Jeremy. Thanks again, Jeremy. And thanks again, Jeremy, for the maggots, the ants, the mag- maggots thrown at the window, um, and, and the, the worms. Yeah, don't forget all the worms. Um, and uh, Professor Birak is teaching a class at University of City about um, Microsoft Excel. Microsoft Excel mm. and uh, quantum physics. And you say, you know, mm. say goodbye to classical reality because. At the subatomic level, it collapses. I've got into, that quote as well. It collapses yes. into ghosts and shadows. Yeah. So, uh, and that's a very poetic line, and, and that's probably uh, true, and it's a very interesting concept. Um, but also, it is. Um, he he is loading up the okay. There's some weird stuff's going to be happening soon, but um, at some fundamental level of reality, it's weirdness is is going to happen. 
It's um, it's almost like a perversion of uh, Clark's Law. It's nice to see a film, uh, a, a good horror film, where someone posits quantum physics as the the get out for um, for the weirdness that's about to happen. Yeah, they've actually thought about it. That's that's uh, makes a change. Uh, one of the classmates, uh, who's very much older than everyone else. Are we talking about Mr. Tash? Yeah, Brian. Well, let's talk about... <laughs> Played by TV star Jameson Parker. So, um, it's, it's, he's basically ogling this girl uh, right from the word go um, in this film. And it's unfortunate. He does look a little bit like he's walked out of the village people. I mean, it is, mm. a, it is a very 80s look. And... Um, but he's, he's after this girl um, almost to creepy levels, I have to say. I mean, hanging outside uh, the, the building and meeting her in the shadows and then and saying he has a great line, a great chat-on line, which I've taken a screenshot of, but I will read out, folks, because I'm that sort of guy. Um, this is this guy's uh, chat-on line. Confirmed sexist and proud of it. Yeah. Do you think that would make it into a remake of this film? <laughs> well... I think it would work better with the uh, the Dennis Dunn character. I think it's deliberate. I I think that um, uh, 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 let's let's not get too sooty about all of this. But I do think Carpenter is 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 putting a little bit of friction between the battle of sexes here because he's a bit of a, a dinosaur. But he's after her, and of course, it's a horror film. Um, so shall we say stuff? When has you say to sorry, when you say he's a dinosaur, do you mean the character or do you mean Carpenter? The character, oh right, not Carpenter, because Carpenter no. has a track record of giving strong roles to women. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, no, absolutely. I don't mean Carpenter. I mean this guy, who's um, I just found him rather odd protagonist. Whether or not he gets his comeuppance, we shall see. Well, he certainly goes through the ringer. He bloody well does. Yeah. Um, Burak mentions the phrase "order in the universe." That was. Chosen as the title of a book about Carpenter's work. So. Order of the Universe. Order in the Universe. Oh, that's excellent. Um, and Brian is, Brian is all the way through. He's practising a card trick. Yes, he is. There's this yes. odd running motif of him practising this <clears throat> card trick to make a, a card disappear behind his hand. And they talk about Schrodinger's cat. Um, and, they, and it's all about quantum physics. These things are not... Um, uh, idly put in there no I mean uh, going back to what I said before about Coppola doing his research he's clearly bought a book about oh, yeah. right. <laughs> Quant- quantum yes. physics where people with no got, scientific mm, background and he's thought mm, this is interesting yes what? bolt this to so, a classic horror story so, so like once you get down to certain levels of anything can happen reality it's like ordinary reality doesn't work anymore well what's what's in the gaps it's, it's the devil <laughs> because why not that's a perfectly reasonable yes, starting point yeah. for a film so, um, Birak, yes. Birak meets uh, Father Donald Pleasance. The priest is never named during the movie. Okay. Um, Which is an, it's an unusual choice, I think. That's just a little slip, isn't it? He's discredited as priest. But everyone just goes, oh, it's Donald Pleasance. No problem. Yeah. Apparently some fans refer to him as Father Loomis after his character in Halloween. Mm, okay. Oh, they think thought... it's the Carpenter cinematic universe thing going on. Well, I think it's more just so that they've got something to call him. Yeah. But they may as well call him... Well, because his, his, his character as the president in Escape from New York isn't named either. Well, he, could, he could be a father, Anthony. Anthony's a great name. Mm. We mean mm. Thanks for that, folks. This will be my last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It won't be. I've tied him to the chair. JJ Malone. Anyway, where are we? We're um, so yeah. This guy is is out to get this girl. He's chatting her up left, right, and centre. And um, part of this little group of students is um, a little uh, um, is it Chinese or Japanese or an I, Asian guy? I, well, his name is Dennis Dunn. The actor's name is Dennis Dunn. I believe that he is uh, Chinese American. So let's unpack his his behaviour right from the word go in this film, which is that he he is a horny little devil right from the word go, um, and he's constantly complaining. That um, what they're what they're doing, uh, all the science, um, all the tutorials, all the investigation into Satan is basically stopping himself having a dating life, <laughs> um, and he he literally gets genuinely angry about this. Now, what's the response to particularly from Brian to this? It is to repeatedly make assertions about this guy's sexuality. Now, there's a lot of stuff about. Um, uh, he's he. This guy comes out with, uh, you know, I'm taking this. Uh, this, you know, I've got a date booked up for um, Century Hall later on. And Brian says, "Oh, really? Where are you taking him?" <laughs> uh, and and um, and this this guy genuinely snaps at him and really hates. And there's a lot of uh, textural stuff about him being assholeish. Um, he, he later on, as we'll see, um, basically he goes to confession when he's chopped, but he's stuck behind the oh, wall. Yes. It's all shot as if he's confessing to the women outside about his uh, about his racism. He says um, he calls says one girls you could almost pass for for Asian or something. Well, the, ah, now the thing is there that in America Asian means Chinese and Japanese. Okay, yes. so it's actually a joke saying, oh, you, you know, it's almost like you you look like you it look does like Chinese. Stick out, like, and of course thought. she is. It's meant to be a joke, and then later he says, I'm sorry. You don't look Chinese at all. Yes, and you, it's you, it's just a joke. He's still he he uses humour all the way through as this deflection. He's almost it's almost like Chandler is trapped in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This character everyone assumes is gay. Yeah, who uses humour as a deflection, and he's constantly saying, "I've got a date with a, a nice girl lined up." Um, it's a really weird dynamic. So you've got Brian trying to to uh, get a date, and uh, this um, delightful redhead. Um, you've got. Um, his his friend, oh, what's his name again? The Asian guy. Um, I keep writing W down. Walter. Might be. Let's call him Walter for the for the purposes. Let's of call him Dennis anyway. Dunn. That's the actor. okay. Dennis Dunn. So you got you got him who gets nothing. Um, because what do you think? Again, to get a bit sooty, that this is possibly this entire film is about the male fear of getting your girlfriend pregnant. No. <laughs> oh, really? I don't think so. I mean... It... So the only can, people actually... You can read it that way. Whether or not it's deliberate, I don't think so. So you're saying when, when the woman is possessed by the devil towards the end of the film and her belly is distending, yeah. and they say it looks like some kind of gestation... And the only two people to actually have intercourse in this film are are Brian and his nice redhead girlfriend, and she's the one who ends up basically um, sacrificing sacrificing herself, herself um, re- removing the threat by going to hell. I think it's not; it's possibly not explicitly in there by Carpenter. I think it's implicit. I just thought that was really quite interesting because I—it's the Kermode thing, isn't it? That basically there's all this—you know—there's a lot of child fear in in horror films, and um, that the classic thing about if you have sex in a horror film, you're going to die. Um, well, 
and, and that the female victim trope a lot of the, the whole idea of sex equals death comes from Halloween and Carpenter has said it is not intentional because he does not believe in that <laughs> well, well good for him um, okay I'm going to agree with you that it's 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 implicit. It's there to read it into it if you want to. I just think it, there's there's more of an invite there to to read into this film. You can read it, it's just a plain old box standard horror film, mm. really well made. But if you want to unpack it and bring all your um, your your literary positions to it, I think it's actually it holds up very well to that. Again, that's the sort of thing that some academic would um, write ten thousand words about in a BFI book. And indeed, you've got your own little BFI book there. That's my notes. Indeed. It's not all Prince of Darkness. I've got other stuff in here as well. <laughs> anyway. Berak consults with the priest about coming to investigate whatever this canister is that he's found in the basement mm. of the mm. church. The glowing this, green this canister. Whirling green liquid. And there's ancient ledgers and books mm. and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so the students are recruited to examine it over the weekend. Yes, rather like Stone Tape, where they move into a um, another castle and um, to uh, to investigate some supernatural. Well, originally they move into the the house in the Stone Tape because it's well, they've, for a they've, medium, bought, they've, they? they've bought it or they've rented it yeah. as a, a a place to do research research into their own project, and they find out that there's mm-hmm. this haunting there as That's well. That's true. So this isn't deliberate. No. Now, something that I did notice, because a, a lot of these themes and things that you seem to have picked up and passed me by, the film's treatment of homeless people. Yes, indeed. Now, at the start, I didn't think... Um, I, I did not know whether they were going to prove to be um, goodies or baddies, to be honest with you. I also thought... Um, that guy, the guy that is very pale, washed out, yeah. uh, giving malevolent looks, thinking, do you know what... That, he looks incredibly familiar. Yeah, um, it, you know he looks a dead ringer for was Alice Cooper, mm. and um, and so I did do an IMDb on him, and lo and behold, or you could have just looked at the credits. Well, that's true. I was I was in the flow uh, at that stage. So Alice Cooper is in this film as a uh, a possessed homeless person, um, and maybe this is now to, to talk about this. There's a carpenter loves ominous standing. Yeah. He and in this film we get a lot of people vomiting water or green goo at, at everybody else. Yeah. And the thought occurs has Russell T Davis um uh, come across this because look at something like um the Christmas invasion. Look at something like um that uh that horrible Christmas one uh, waters of That Mars. wasn't a Christmas one. That was, was that went oh, yeah. in November. Um that it that just suddenly struck me. Oh, yeah, I've seen that before. It's um, a very... I mean, it wouldn't take much maybe to reconfigure this as a Doctor Who script. Oh, absolutely. Um, that has the base under siege. It's got the scientific colliding with the For supernatural. Talk well. Yeah, but it's too good. Well, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, we don't bloody want any... You know. um, and, you know, it's got someone being impaled on a bicycle. Uh, it's got some... Interestingly weird lo-fi special effects, mm. like the like the scissor stabbing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do, you, do you remember that? Where mm. there's where there's the the scissors are still, but the wall is going past. They've got like a fl- they've got a piece of flat wall that they just sort of ah. move past really quickly, which is why that shot looks weird. 
I didn't notice. I didn't notice a, particular, a shot that looked particularly weird in in amongst the Malay. But um, I'll take your word for that. I'll have another look at it. But um, but yeah, I, I, I see your point. Um, it's it's fairly tri- child friendly. This film. I mean, there's, and there's lots of scary. Is it? It's it's monstery makeup um, and maggoty stuff, and that's about it, really. I think that some of the things in it might be a little too alarming. The whole dreams thing. I can imagine would be a bit. I love that, um, but oh yeah, so do I. Uh, but but for but for children, I think that's well. Yeah, I wouldn't, much put, a, too wouldn't put a three-year-old in front of it. But um, you know, I you know, if someone's watching Doctor Who these days, um, I, you know. But anyway. Um, but homeless people. Yeah. Um, with the homeless people all being effectively taken over and influenced by the surrounding evil. It did feel a little bit um, not condescending, but saying, "Oh, these these people are weak; these people are easy prey." Um, I think uh, you can read it that way. I didn't, um, um, and it's not necessarily an, uh, a negative viewpoint to say, "Well, they're they're weak because they're vulnerable." But they become highly malevolent and uh, and all this. I, yeah, possibly it's going after the vulnerable in society. Um, mm. Those who are um, who, who are possibly more um, prone to influence, um, uh, yeah. Um, I, I thought they were a nice addition. He needs it to basically to have an army of people um, to stop people from leaving. Yes, there's that. Yeah, and um, stab them with bicycles, and to nail dead pigeons to the door. And, yeah, and, I mean, crucify like pi- crucifying pigeons. I mean. You know, count me in. Crucified pigeons. <laughs> um, meanwhile, actually, I, I'm going to look up her name. Who our uh, redhead, our redhead star? Our redhead yeah, because she's the called the character's called Catherine. Mm. Well, whilst you're looking at her, I'm just going to point out that when when all the students are moving into this uh, church to investigate the the weird weirdness that's occurring in it, um, the, uh, the the group of students are interesting. Um, there's your average geek. There's also some guy who comes in and does the the, the ward sign. Um, and in fact, I think you t- you texted this to me out of context. Susan Cabot, radiologist, married. And he does that, the cross sign with his fingers. Whilst there's a whacking great big crucifix <laughs> in the background. Um, uh, but of course, this may not be... Uh, uh, um, deliberate at all so there's there's that um, so basically he's saying don't try to get off with her um, she's taken um, Lisa Blunt Lisa Blunt that's the actress's name that's the actress's name plays Catherine Dunford and Dennis, Dun- Dennis Dunn's character is called Walter Walter <laughs> okay yeah so so they all move into this place and they're they're all they're actually all different disciplines uh, there's a theologist there who seems to be good at in, in, uh, decrypting runes as well um, I think there's something like a microbiologist, um, not just quantum physicist. It's a linguist. Uh, yeah, so they, it's it's a multi-talented group of, of crazy people. Um, Father Donald Pleasance turns up. And what does he get in the face the second uh, he turns up? So it's a crazy woman with uh, a, cup full, of a cup full of maggots. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks for that, Jeremy. Brilliant. Don't have nightmares. I won't. But I was actually <laughs> eating whilst I was watching this film. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, I'll just settle down with a nice evening meal and watch Prince of Darkness. It'll change my it's life. Really. You don't eat pasta, isn't it? Well, you're eating maggots, Michael. 
And um, I think the radiologist says that her husband's parents used to go to the same church. Oh, I missed that. All oh, oh. right. Some, well, someone says her, uh, mm. her husband's parents. Yeah, so swear that we have a lot of um, uh, sexy young students. Uh, we have a lot of religion and a hell of a lot of religious imagery. And at the same time, we have science swirling around as well and a cosmological confluence going on. And the, so all things are good. And the spectre of putrefaction. Yes, indeed. Of rot and decay. Yes. So actually, it's almost perfect to record today because with the weather being so <laughs> hot, hot and so... Yeah. The idea that of just things rotting away. Yes, melting and the furnace of Hades outside the front door. Yeah. Um, yes, quite right. So anyway... Um, they discover they, that... The, they find nothing in the church and they go home and they're all live happily ever after. The ancient ledger, they find, <laughs> contains differential equations. As, as they almost always do. But that predates the invention of calculus. Unbelievable. I know. And that the, the big canister full of whirling stuff can only open from the inside. Now, that is ominous. Um, is this before or after they start having a crazy precognitive dreams? Well, we do get a little clip of a Tom and Jerry cartoon of Tom and Jerry in Hell. Oh, uh, that's quite nice. Um, it's again, a nice I little that. Um, Yes. And um, I think it's the, uh, the... I forget the character's name. The Kelly? What, the, the, the who, geek boy? No. The, the one who walks out. The woman who winds up being pregnant with the devil child. Oh, yes, I missed her uh, name. Kelly? It is Kelly. Okay, um, form today. She's got um, starting to get the, the bruise forming on her arm. And Walter says, oh, I, yeah, I used to break out when I was 12. The doctor said it was homosexual panic. Well, there we go again. I mean, I, I rest my case. This is not deliberate. There, there are far too many bits of evidence here that this is actually all about um, the, the battle of the sexes. And, um, and, and they are repeatedly asserting that this guy's actually secretly gay. Well, that, my assumption is that he's, he's just making a joke about himself. That, oh, yeah, the, oh, they all thought I was gay. I think he needs to get another joke book, frankly, because that's probably why he hasn't got any dates. He has to make them up. Um, yeah, so she she goes down to the um, creepy cellar. Yeah, um, with the, all, and all the candles. With all the candles, the green glowy um, in, uh, can only be opened from the inside box after a priest has died with a um, a casket in his hands. Um, and then she decides, uh, and she says, "No, everything's fine. They'll leave me down here on my own." Hmm. Um, and that obviously doesn't work out well, um, not least for mankind. <laughs> well, they also note that somehow, I think with X-rays or uh, divining rod or something, that the contents of the canister is becoming more rather than less organised. That it seems to be all structuring itself into becoming some kind of life form. Um, I'm sure I've got so a note about that it's somewhere. Just yes, gradually yes. building up all these elements. Yeah, it's just really well crafted. So we can see it's going somewhere, but we don't really yeah. know. What you don't want that door to go- open. If it was any other um, silly straight to VHS thing, if it wasn't Carpenter at the wheel, you would get that door opening and a man in a great big monster costume coming out, um, green goose swirling around him. You wouldn't get any of this other interesting stuff. I'm trying to think of other film, other sort of horror filmmakers at the time. And Wes Craven. Wes Craven, Toby Hooper, mm-hmm. George Romero, mm-hmm. David Cronenberg. How they would Tony have... Scott. <laughs> he did make a horror film. Well, Michael Mann made a horror film. Imagine Michael Mann doing this. Well, that would be very interesting. Because he's a big Los Angeles mm. director. He loves mm. Los Angeles. 
doing it or, or his like handheld videos. You stuff. could you can definitely see the homeless people. You could transport them straight up from Prince of Darkness into the Michael Mann version. And of it. All, all the music, Tangerine Dream, mm-hmm. lovely. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting crossover. Some interesting thought experiment. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's um, stuff's going down, um, and suddenly the chair moves down in the old crypt. Um, so there's weird psychic stuff going on. The canister seven million years old, um, and water is running backwards up to the ceiling. Yeah. So. Um, Ooh, what a feeling. <laughs> dancing on the ceiling uh, Lionel Richie doesn't appear in this film unfortunately but they decrypt part of the scripture oh they do and yeah. it says firstly that the canister was buried by the father of Satan I mean you want, to know, that, you want to know that one first mm. Mm. Uh, that he was banished to the dark side of reality mm. and that Jesus came to warn everyone and that he was an alien indeed um which is all standard von Daniken stuff really um, that's interesting chariots of the gods uh, I I recently went on holiday to Switzerland. Oh, did you? Uh, to Interlaken. Oh, really? The beautiful city of Interlaken, which I highly recommend. You should have gone to the uh, James Bond um, um, allergy clinic. Uh, energy clinic? Energy. Allergy. <laughs> um, listener, we have actually really? discussed this already. He knows where I've been. He's seen oh, the photos. Bloody right. But there is an Eric von Daniken theme park really? in Interlaken. What? Which went out of business years ago, oh, and is now used to some kind We're of flown off crazy conference centre. Um, it's called. It's re- referred to locally as the mystery crazy park. park. The, the mystery the park. Mystery park. <laughs> Straight out of Scooby Doo. And each pavilion uh, is about a different great mystery of the world. A different uh, psychological illness, basically. Well, so did did aliens invent human civilization? Mm-hmm. Did they build did, Peruvian? Did, did Bigfoot? Did Bigfoot write the Torah? <laughs> That's that kind of thing. Crikey. And is this all now overgrown? We, we mustn't get too no, it's, lost. It's, uh, it's, it's not overgrown. It's, I mean, it's, as I say, it's still used for like mystery conferences park. and things. It's is there not... a region inside it where you, uh, if you go in, you don't come out? It's the toilets. Yeah, well. I've known a few regions like that. Don't talk to me about Bermuda Triangles. <laughs> oh, boy. I prefer Dairy League Triangles myself. Anyway, this... this um... Oh, and... Uh, the church was set up to maintain knowledge of all of this until science was able to develop sufficiently to take over. Which it now has, um, because we've got Brian and his moustache to lead us into the technological new, new dawn. Um, so Kelly buys the farm, basically. Um, she gets a mouthful of, of water. Um, I just say that uh, fluids... Uh, being sprayed from orifices. Orifices. Orifices um, appear in this film. Thank God it's only mouths. Um, and that plus... Yeah, but the... it's into mouths. <laughs> yeah, and also nine times out of ten it's from woman to man, which is a bit of a reversal. So I still think, actually, Carpenter's... Uh, I'm going to I'm going to track down some, some obscure little paragraph where he talks about this and goes, yeah, Jeremy Phillips is bloody wrong. It's, it's actually... Um, I read Camille Paglia and thought, right, I'm going to have some fun with this. <laughs> anyway, she buys the farm. The next thing uh, we see is her standing at the end of the corridor, which is brilliantly off-centre. Oh, yes. It's just slightly oh. out of kilter. Radiologist glasses, that's the one. Oh, yes. that's what. Um, so she's back and now she's kicking bottom uh, and she's doing lots of ominous... Um, standing at the end of corridors so you know badness is going to happen I love that shot that's so subtle 
Um, I think this was Carpenter's first film with his new cinematographer, Gary Kibb, mm. because previously he'd mostly worked with Dean Cundy, right. who went on to uh, shoot the Back to the Future trilogy and Jurassic Park. Bloody hell. Um, his trademark is deep shadows and bold colours. Right. And if you watch Back to the Future or Jurassic Park or some of the earlier Carpenters, you'll see this very sort of bold colours, but against dark shadow. And Kip does a very good job in Prince of Darkness in emulating that style. Later on, it sort of slides away, and his his style becomes a bit more sort of flat and. Well, there's a really good shot of a guy standing in the middle of a deserted car park in shadow, which gets um, wormy tastic quite yeah. quickly, which is really well lit. Um, but compared to They Live, which I think is much more mm-hmm. TV-ish, mm-hmm. and then Carpenter's '90s films, which are mm-hmm. visually not great. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's um, she's uh, she's back. She she doesn't tend to wreak havoc at that point. Um, everyone just starts wetting themselves. Um, oh yes, does she abandon her glasses when she gets possessed? I believe so. Mm. She also kills the bald guy because yes, a couple... she does. She give him a bit of a neck twist. Yeah, who uh, he would, however, go on to star in yes, Brooklyn Nine Nine, as, as I told you. Yes. Um, so lucky him. Well, what's the actor's name again? Uh, Dirk Blocker, who plays. Which uh, is amusing because he goes down there to to um, to try and flirt. Who's uh, th- uh, one of? I think he's Hitchcock out of Hitchcock and Scully in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Have you ever watched Brooklyn Nine Nine? No, not a single. It's a very entertaining show. It's very funny. Well, as you know, I, I watch you watch you oceans of TV, and uh, you watch no television. I had to explain to you what Taskmaster was. Explain to me what television is. He, listener, he didn't know they're making a new Halloween film. What's Halloween? A joking God. Was that a Halloween joke? <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, do we then switch to um, uh, deserted car park time? Well, we're skating over a few sort of yeah. bits, but uh, uh, the priest spends a lot of the movie sitting with Birak, having... Rather animated chats, yeah. Yes. Although towards the end, Donald Pleasance has a great paycheck for basically just hiding. Uh, but you're you're right. He does great hiding acting He does, the end, he? and he does do very good impassioned, um, you don't understand the forces that you're meddling with acting. Um, well, he got to do that in Halloween as well. <laughs> so he's so practiced he's, at it. He's really kind of just yeah, pulling out the same it. performance again, but he's very good at it. So we have we have the idea of evil not as a spiritual force, but as a, as a physical entity. Mm-hmm. We did skate right past the idea of Jesus being an alien, <laughs> just in the same way that the movie does. Yes, just mention that. <laughs> Don't go into any goes, detail. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, go back to the part about how the canister was buried by the father of Satan. That's the thing we need to worry about. <laughs> I think he, they, he probably looked like that bloke at the start, Prometheus. That's where we've all been going wrong when it comes oh, to Jesus. Oh, that was Jesus? That was probably Jesus, was Well, it? he's very white, isn't Seizing he? planet Earth. He's, very, yeah. he's also completely bald. In Prometheus? Yeah. Or Jesus? No, Jesus I was... I thought he was beardy. Jesus was a hairy man. like Russell Brandt. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was a hairy man. You, <laughs> Stop interrupting me. I'm trying to make a Bible joke. Jesus so was a hairy man. Okay. But that was a smooth man. Okay. That was your Bible joke. That's a, that's a Bible joke. Okay. That's a deep cut, but that's a Bible joke. I'll, I'll definitely remember that one next time I'm in need of a Bible joke. See, listener, this is it's like it's like if James Joyce had his own show. 
<laughs> what cinema limbo? Yeah, Joyce. When Joyce wrote Ulysses, he wanted to be able to reconstruct the whole of Dublin mm-hmm. in the form of prose, mm-hmm. and we're doing that with the whole of culture. We certainly are. Everything and we're making ev- a right hash of it. Everything can be reconstructed by the the dollops by of mere conversation. The, the dollops of Bollocks. golden knowledge. <laughs> Will you stop interrupting me? <laughs> this happened before when we recorded Phase Four. You interrupted me constantly and then later on you said yeah I probably shouldn't interrupt you quite so much that's you're, very you true you were right to pick me up yeah. on that and now you're doing it again my bad my bad okay no more overlapping conversation I'm going to burn all your Guy and Smith books <laughs> all 27 of them next observation and they're all about crabs don't tell me that's not Freudian no that is true actually they are about crabs um, no one seems to remember anyone else's names in real life or in the film? In the film. Yeah, I agree. Um, they all have difficult... They, I mean, it's maybe it's just trying to just add a little bit of realism to it. The way that, you know, it, it can be hard to remember people's names when you only hear it once and then you don't hear it again. Well, they do only just meet off the van uh, for some of them. There's definitely... I think the uh, there's, a, there's an Asian uh, student who turns up. The theologist, the one who decrypts the... Lisa. The, she turns up um, the first time we see her. She's not in the, um, the lecture class at the start. There's a brilliant moment of um, that guy's a red shirt towards the end of this film where everyone crowds into a room and you know who everyone is and they've Except all had one guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's the one who cops yeah. it straight You're away. You're next, mate. Yes, brown trousers time, I think. And also the notion of... Uh, this is the one that I really liked. God is a universal particle and therefore an antiparticle would be anti-God. Yes. Now, I recently read A Brief History of Time um, obviously that was a doddle and so I've, I've been reading quite a bit about particles, antiparticles the theoretical nature of the universe as uh, you do yeah. and thumbs up yeah it was a, it was a real rib tickler <laughs> excellent so you have, been, you, have you read it? you're a science man when it came out it was um, uh, it was a big bestseller when it, it came out it was a smash hit no one read it um, actually if people I remember rightly um, people read it because it was uh, the one science book that was apparently really hard but Hawking was perceived as a genius and he's written this book and it explains everything so the challenge was to read it and then the running joke over the last 20-25 years has been that it's the book that everyone claims to have read but actually hasn't I did read it um, that's because probably I was doing physics A-level at the time oh right um, and, uh, and I, I thought it was um, amazing I don't think I understood a single word of it but um, how'd you do in your A-level? Um, I had to retake, <laughs> <laughs> and I had to get extra for physics. Now you mention it, thanks well, for bringing that up. Well, I, I got a D, so yeah. you're in good company. Yeah, well, we can talk about my academic failures another time. <laughs> Have you got a degree? I I might do. I don't, so you're ahead okay. of me there. Okay. But, but I like Guy and Smith. I, I know that I don't, whereas you're not sure. Well, I don't want to brag, but uh, I like Guy and Smith novels, and that's a massive drag factor on my intellect, obviously. So. Yeah. I'm the yeah. If it comforts you to know, I'm the least qualified member of my own family. So imagine what the rest of them are like. Can you spin the ball? It's not that qualification. <laughs> Here's a line from the priest: "Only the corrupt are listened to now. They tell us what we want to hear, and we believe it to be divine." Light. Now I tweeted that screenshots of that. Can we just do that again so that you don't interrupt me before I finish? <laughs> sorry, <speaking>? sorry. <laughs> I'm just excited by our conversation. I'm sorry I'm late. I really am. 
There's a, a line from the priest that I want to uh, pick up. Only the corrupt are listened to now. They tell us what we wanted to hear, and we believe it to be divine light. Christy. Brilliant line. It is, isn't it? So good that I even screenshotted it and tweeted it. Because, of course, that applies to the uh, 2018. It's, I think it's Actually, a, it applies to every day. It's a truism of human nature that when we have our own opinions reflected back at us, it... It just reinforces them. Mm, mm. And look at the current president. Exactly. Look at the current prime minister. But to be honest with you, and frankly being a bit jaded by the whole political um, carnival, you could say that about pretty much every age. Exactly. That's that's why yeah. I believe it's a human truism, it's... that we've always been like that. And that's the universality of stuff like this. That's why it's um, a mistake to sneer at horror or genre, because it's often... Uh, that it's often genre that can really get to the nub of something to come out of the line like that it allows storytellers to ask difficult questions in a way that more realistic um, storylines don't allow mm. you couldn't ask these kinds of questions in a drama about a couple of priests without them just having them sit there mm. talking mm-hmm. in in the, in this film, you can actually have it. You have physical objects. You have action. Everything is exploring these ideas through images, through action, mm-hmm. not just. We cut away to bits of dialogue and these beautifully written lines, but it's through a whole process, not just that. Yeah, it it operationalizes all the um, the the philosophy and the and the, and the um, uh, the the, the intellectualising it actually turns it basically into plot and character exactly so um, and that's a highly tricky thing to do in a standard um, bog standard drama but um, what year did this come out? 1987 fairly fairly late in the decade and what were its contemporaries? Lethal Weapon oh in horror? no in general <laughs> um, uh, The Living Daylights mm. um Living Days. Beverly Hills Cop 2, I think. Standard. Um, so numpty the, uh, fair. The, uh, but The Living Daylights is quite specific. The, the 80s action movie had become codified by this point. Mm. Mm, I agree. I think... Um, I don't quite know why this film passed me by. I think I... Um, it's not easily available. That doesn't help. No, but even at the cinema... How did it do at the cinema on release? It didn't do that well. I'm not certain. I, I could double check, but I, I don't think it got much of a theatrical release in the UK. As far as I know, only one Carpenter film's gone straight to video in the UK, and it was his remake of Village of the Damned, which is mm. pretty much his worst film. I was, I was, uh, I remember The Living Daylights coming out and the excitement around that. I don't, I wasn't reading something like Empire magazine until a few years later, so I don't think I had a, uh, a hotline into what was. At cinema, it was literally just go past, see the poster, and I'm not sure I would have gone for Prince of Darkness, um, mainly because that's just an aversion to the, the horror genre at that time. But um, <laughs> yeah, so we've we've had a lot of stuff. We've gone through uh, uh, Jesus and his um, space origin, his, his space origin, and, and Prometheus and stuff like that. Um, but whilst they're all discussing this, um, we get some really great computer stuff. Really lovely, old-fashioned, yeah, clinky, clonky, like proper, 
proper computers, not the, the rubbish we have to deal with these days, which is uh, um, basically computers for stupid people. This is when you actually had to program to be able to, uh, to use the damn things. Here we go. Prince of Darkness was classified for cinema release by the BBFC on the 23rd of November 1987. And, and what was the rating? 18. Ah, well then, I wouldn't have been able to get in. Um, but I have to say, I still wouldn't have been. Horror wasn't my genre. I would have been much more interested in a sci-fi role. Oh, it's released on Guild Home Video. Remember Guild? Um, I th- might remember the logo. Um, God almighty. That doesn't exactly shout a massive studio marketing campaign behind it. Well, it was an independent production, so mm. it's not that surprising. So, but, I mean, um, I mean the, the background of the production of the movie is a little interesting because Carpenter finally broke into making a studio picture with The Thing, which bombed. And he was already in pre-production on Firestarter, the Stephen King adaptation, as his next movie. Mm. And after the thing bombed, he was fired from Firestarter. Oh, God. But How ironic. But because Stephen King was a fan of his, mm. um, he got him hired to do the film of Christine. Mm-hmm. And they started work on that. I think they started shooting on that before the book was published. Right. And Christine did quite well in '83. Then Carpenter did Starman, which was a big departure for him because it's a love story. And he shows, yeah, I can do that. Of course I can do that. I'm John Carpenter. (laughs) And that was a hit. And it's Carpenter's only Oscar-nominated feature. Starman? Best actor for Jeff Bridges. Okay. Only Oscar nomination given to someone playing an alien. (laughs) Which other actor has been Oscar-nominated for playing a non-human character? Um, In a live-action film? Yes. A non-human character in a live-action film. Is this a nomination or a win? Nomination. Kevin Spacey? K-Pax? Not nominated. David, not David Bowie. And the jury's out on whether or not the character's not human. Mm, Okay. Um, uh, 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 Dazzle me. Willem Dafoe in Shadow of the Vampire. Oh, for crying out loud. (laughs) No wonder you bloody win the quizzes all the time. They've had but to close from another I... planet. Of course he is. Jeff Goldblum has never been Oscar nominated. Can you believe that? That is an outrage. Well, that's that's the Oscars for you. There's a whole raft of, of I mean, like Scorsese winning for the wrong film for what did he? He won for The Departed, didn't he? Yeah. Which anyone would would point out as being marginally second tier Scorsese. You know what? I've really liked looking at clips of online. <laughs> Casino. Where's this going? Casino. Casino is brilliant. I love Casino. I think that's a future cinema limbo because Casino is, I think, the the, the overlooked Scorsese. Ethic. I I will be up for that because Casino is a very good film. Yeah, and we could talk all about the religious imagery that's all you over. Motherfucker, it. you! Yeah, <laughs> it's got some juicy violence in that. And Ooh, Sharon Stone's excellent in that film. Sharon Stone Oscar nomination. Well, there you go. The only Oscar nomination that film got. Yeah, I can kind of agree with that. She's brilliant in that film. Um, so then he did Starman. That was a big hit. So now he could do another like studio passion project he wants to do and that was Big Trouble in Little China which no one saw and thought right well that's the end of his studio career Mm. he signed a two picture deal with an independent company and that was for Prince of Darkness and They Live his next next studio picture or big studio picture was I think Escape from LA which bombed he's not had much luck really has he no every time he tries to do like a passion project to the studio it fails he should stop messing with Satan but the but the three but the the two studio pictures he did as just like a for hire deal, oh no two of them 
because Christine and Starman both turned out well, but Memoirs of an Invisible Man. <laughs> mm. um, I, I wasn't keen on seeing a John Carpenter film with Chevy Chase in mm. it. And it's the only film he's done since Dark Star that doesn't have his name above the title. Mm, okay. That speaks it's volumes. fine. What, Memoirs of an Invisible Man? Yeah. Mm, I'm not racing to see it, I have to say. It has very good invisibility effects. Okay. It was the first CGI invisibility movie, and they actually look very good. And Sam Neill's the villain, and he's excellent. He's really nasty and sinister. He's also um, delightfully nasty in Daybreakers. Have you seen that? Yes. Death and Hawk with vampires. That's a really cracking vampire film, have, that. Have with you, Willem Dafoe. Have you seen In the Mouth of Madness? No, but I'd like to see that. I think that was Samuel's first film after Jurassic Park. <laughs> He went to this what? bizarre, insane, <laughs> Lovecraftian, Lovecraftian, Neilian horror film wow. with John Carpenter. Do, is that a successful film, or is this a flawed it experimental? Is, it is Carpenter's best film. Since oh, the really? 80s. That's it's good to hear. Brilliant. Right, so I'm going to track that down. But it is you can't get it in the UK. It's never been released on DVD in the UK. It's the only one that you can't get. Oh, for crying out loud. Which is a tragedy, because it's a brilliant film. We'll have to wait until it crops up on 3pm on BBC One on Christmas Day, which I'm sure they're, they're racing to I'll write, schedule. I'll tell you what, I'll write to Talking Pictures TV. They love that kind of thing. A good series, Talking Pictures. Um, anyway, back to computers. Um, and on the computer, uh, you will not be saved by the Holy Ghost. You will not be saved by the God Plutonium. Love that. In fact, you will not be saved yeah. No, I've had um, instant messages like that <laughs> in my time, and uh, thank God uh, it hasn't ended in um, uh, a mouthful of, of mouth. You've, you've, had, you've, you've had letters from HR that have been very similar. <laughs> yeah, that, that is unfortunately true, um, and it usually ends in get out. Um, That's what my redundancy notice said, that was weird. And then they invited you back. Yeah, I just think, have I talked about this on the podcast, what are the limits of what I can talk about? Let's not go there. Let's talk about Satan and, and all his... Uh, as long as I don't mention the name of my employer, I think it's probably fine. Well, well I'll consider your <laughs> listeners. I'm not sure they're interested in, in your, your personal um, employment issues. <laughs> well, I, I had to give them an explanation as to why I didn't release an episode for six months. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I told you to, uh, to take legal action, but anyway. Enough of that. <laughs> um, tachyons get mentioned. Yes. Uh, Chris Bidmead would approve. I was about to mention that. Yes, the the wonder those wonderful particles that travel backwards in time. Absolutely. Um, so he's throwing around all of the. He's read New Scientist and, and and yet the film was made before Brief History of Time was published. Yeah. Okay. But, but that's because this is oh, it reads almost like a reaction to Brief History of Time. How can I incorporate all this stuff into Tachy- my Devil the movie? Tachyon generator in the Leisure Hive. That's what nineteen eighty. Uh, tachyons were been around for yes. tachyonic years. Um, and then um, we headed out into the car park where, unfortunately, somebody's got a message and apparently um, no one's going to like it. And we have the running with scissors bit and the moving wall. I must check that moving wall bit. I'd like to see that. I, I, I'm, that's beginning to ring a bell. Um... <laughs> Meanwhile, Dennis has... Oh, who's Dennis? Someone. I've, I've written Dennis. Presumably Dennis. Dennis, our Asian... He has a nightmare... Oh, right. And it's the first time anyone has the dream. And the dream is brilliant. And I think it really um, shoves this up a notch. Um, because it's 
It's the sort of thing that would be... Um, have you watched Westworld recently? I haven't seen any of the second season yet. Okay, I'm halfway through the, the second season. And, um, spoiler alert, it's... Consider your next words carefully. In my opinion, um, significantly better than the first series. Oh. And um, really opens things up. But there's a lot of flash forwards and flash backwards in, in Westworld. And in things like Fringe, Lost, stuff like that, they have all these sorts of, mm. of things going on. So this is a wonderful VHSE sort of transmission from the future. And what's even better about it is that it's actually um, someone's trying to communicate from the future. It's wonderful. Um, so you just think, oh my God, who are these scientists trying to contact? And are we going to see some James Cameron blasted Earth vision um, that you know what you're doing in this church is going to destroy mankind? And to be honest with you, it almost does. Um, that is just seeded he doesn't he doesn't overdo it mm. he just drops that in and it's wonderfully done um and that reoccurs throughout the um the film all the way up to the end uh, which and it gets a really good payoff um it's a significantly um plus for this film that um down in the basement we've got uh, a really nice um almost wizard of oz Ah, look at the green lighting down in the basement. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? And the green lighting seeping into people's faces. It's all over the walls. See what I mean? The, the bold colours and dark shadow. It's yeah. it's very Dean Cumber. brilliant. Um, they've noticed... They have a, a big meeting because people are getting a bit... Obviously getting a little bit... Ugh, yeah. And they're deciding whether or not to leave. Yeah, it's not quite the gig that everyone expected it to be. No. Um, but uh, all the homeless people have barred the doors... And are chucking maggots at the uh, the window, and, and, and dead animals, and um, God knows what else. And water's running backwards up ceilings inside. So it's not not your average day in a Catholic church. No. And uh, Brian does his magic trick. What the card trick? The card trick, and the card complete just vanishes mm. completely. No explanation. It's just. Like nature and reality are yes, the normal at, laws at, of physics are breaking down. Exactly, yeah. quantum physics is taking over from classical physics. The uh, the unknown is in control, which is great. All bets are off, and it's done in such a and that that scene is it's done in almost quite a clumsy way. It's just done with an edit. Oh, his card's gone. Mm. It's the Pertwee trick, isn't it? Where he magic something away. Well, no, it's no. There is a change of angle. Oh, okay. It's not like right, stay still while yeah. the proper way. No, there, there's there's a change of angle, but it's sort of a little bit. Mm. Yeah. But the point is that how is that possible? Stuff stuff is 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 breaking down. That magic is becoming. But then real. at this point, dead people are walking around the building. Um, yeah, you get you get them the man full of bugs in the car park. That's an, another lovely moment which I enjoyed greatly. Um, Calder, the uh, the black guy, has been he's been got at. Now he's quite scary. He gives a really great performance where he just wanders around uh, singing geeking. "Amazing Grace." Yeah, um, as if it's some sort of weird primal memory, or uh, he's been re. It kind of gets you that has this happened before. Um, he's very scary. It's my feeling is that he knows that some evil force is trying to take him over, and he's trying to ward it off. Yeah, yeah, by yeah. singing "Amazing Grace" and. He's very sweaty. I just had this very weird feeling that there's someone standing in the corner of the room. What the flying out loud? 
I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe any of that. But that was a weird feeling I just had. Like there was, a, I could, I could see someone there in the corner of my eye. Okay. Are you on your meds today? Are they, are they kicking in? Are they, <laughs> what, what did you put in my drink? <laughs> yes. It's You're eating all those marshmallows to defend yourself from from the devil. Well, you see, because he doesn't because he doesn't like things that are soft and nice. <laughs> um, well, yeah, it's going a bit crazy down in the cellar, um, and it looks like most of the women are possessed. Um, <laughs> it's, the, it's the moon, isn't it? It's the sacred feminine. There's that. You know what I mean? There is that. Um, and uh, it is a horror film, so um, you you jest, but that's what a reading of this would um, mm. would uh, would involve. Um, it, it is all men that are. It's not all men that are possessed, but um, but they're the ones who are clearly uh, in charge. Um, and one of them is growing a very big baby bump. And it's deteriorating fast. Yeah. Um, in a wonderful a- piece of makeup. It's rotting away from the inside. Yeah. And um, so, why are we allowed to talk about um, um, the fear of, of um, female pregnancy in Alien, because that's legitimate, but not in Prince of Darkness? I thought in Alien it was more about the fear of male impregnation. There's something bursting out out of you, and this horrible monster coming and taking over your body. I thought it was very much more about it being the fact that it's a man, though, rather than a woman. Mm. What about even in Prometheus? It's the Numi Rapace character who has to. Um, well, in Alien Three as well, goes. because she's pregnant mm-hmm. with a, with a mm-hmm. devil baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's that you're not allowed. I think it's more that hardly anyone's seen this bloody film. <laughs> well, that's probably I think, true. I think it's yes. probably more it's about that. It's not exactly that. a central text, is it? And well, uh, there is a there is a Carpenter connection, of course, because Dan O'Bannon, who ah, co created Alien, ah, yeah. co wrote and starred in Dark Star. And there's the whole scene in Dark Star of him doing battle with the the beach ball alien inside the spaceship, which was just expanded, and yes. that became Alien. I think they should have kept the same design, so that instead of H.R. Geiger's Mm. Horrifying it monstrosity. Be a ball with feet. It would be a beach ball with a couple of like yeah. uh, like birds' feet on the bottom, and th- and then it runs up to you and tickles you. I haven't seen Dark Star for, for years. I saw it as part of some sci-fi series, um, year, you know, twenty twenty-five years ago, and I remember really enjoying it. Um, but they are all stoned on that spaceship. Um, it's a student film. What do you expect? Well, it is. In fact, they're probably all stoned behind the the camera as well. Um, but even though it's got a really silly effect for an alien, I remember being actually gripped by that film. Um, yeah, I must go back and revisit it. But yeah, it's clearly an influence on Alien. It's, it's oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's there's um, uh, someone pregnant with the devil child. Act of contrition. It says. Well, there the act of contrition is what's happening to our friend. Uh, Oh, Walter, Walter who's, who's trapped in a little... Absolutely bricks in himself. And, um, and he's still cracking jokes, trying to just like ward off things by, by just making jokes all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tell you that you were Asian. <laughs> too little, too late, mate. Um, oh, guess this is another nice line that he comes out with, uh, and I've screenshot this just to prove it. I'm in this closet. Oh, <laughs> Are but, you, Walter? But the pitch you've captured it is of the people in the next room listening to him. They are. The wall. What's that? And they have to they have to dig through the wall overnight to get him out. I do like when it we have the sun come up the following day, and there's a, an exterior shot of the church, and there's just a car that goes by. 
Yeah, as as and if, it's like yeah, it's yeah. it's that, yeah, it's like a Sunday morning. It's perfectly normal. People driving around. I did actually. Um, I found out where the church is. The location. Oh really? It's still there. Is it? Because um, it, it looks a very uh, abandoned. It looks like an abandoned church that they're, they're filming it's, in. It's been roughed up a bit, I think, for the filming. But um, it, it, the Google Street View I looked at is about th- I think three or four years old, and it looks as if it could do with a lick of paint. But okay. it's not nearly as bad as it is in the film. Is it a a, a, a working church, a functioning church? I believe so. Mm-hmm. I wonder how they. Um... Uh, I wonder how they take to being appearing in Prince of Darkness and being a, at the eye of the vortex of um, satanic reappearances. And... Oh, probably not that fast. It's not the first thing you do if you were, you know, priest of a local church. I'll, I'll put this into a film set and we'll, we'll be in The Exorcist. Well, it's mainly only the exteriors, so there is that. Maybe um, it was good. Maybe at the time it wasn't owned by a religious organisation. Satanists. Satanists are religious by definition because they, they worship they the, the devil. dark side. Yeah, they probably thought this is going to be a good piece of PR. For it us. was probably like a ping pong club or something. Yeah. Homeless shelter. Um, Brian and Lisa, <coughs> the redhead. Yes. Share... No. What? Lisa is the Chinese lady. Oh, sorry. And and our well, Catherine. Catherine um, share a tender kiss. Yes. Which might as well have a big sign flashing out on the screen saying you can say goodbye to one of these characters and it's not going to be Mr. Moustache. Also, is Kelly undergoing a virgin birth? Well, uh, I'd, uh, I don't want to suit out, but if you want to, feel free. <laughs> and called it, and all the priest is hiding in a, yeah. in a nearby room behind a big. Um, boiler. Yeah, nice payday for Donald Pleasance. No lines to learn, and just skulking about, um, looking like he's isn't bricking. He, isn't he like top build or something? Yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah, he's probably the draw for this. Um, um, but uh, Calder has wandered into the room, and there's a huge mm-hmm. floor to ceiling mirror. Yes, there is. Um, probably where the parish priest uh, gets into his cask and cotter and, and his mitre before he goes out to say mass. That's mm. my uh, rationalisation for there being a spotless mirror suddenly in an abandoned church yeah um and he stands in front of it and And giggles and giggles very ominously um and there's a sense at this point in the film that everything's building up and it's not good brian says that uh brian tells Catherine that he has something to tell her but she stops him Mm. what's he going to tell her he loves her (laughs) does he well, in context, I think that... With that moustache. <laughs> I think... You're a very intolerant man. I'm not. I'm. Believe me, I'm not. But I think, yeah, he's almost certainly going to say that, and it's left to the imagination. Um, and uh, it's good that she stops him, because it basically tells the audience, um, that's probably the last time you two are going to see each other. And as they still dig through the wall... Yeah, they um, do make a bit of a meal of that. Walter says, hurry up, I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, if 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 you did piss yourself, no one would blame you. <laughs> yeah, feel free. It's, it's a scary movie. <laughs> uh, and next door uh, to, to Walter, through the confessional um, uh, little window slat, is um, our, our nice young lady who's developed a slightly major skin problem. She's, um, got, she's gone face crazy. Um, it's great makeup, and it's the sort of stuff that um, 
we don't really see these days um, because now we're we look at that and go, that's makeup. Yeah. Whereas in the film these days, the whole thing is verisimilitude, and you know, if you look at something like the um, the Walking Dead, mm. um, it it just it makeups now it, it's it's got to look realistic, even if it's someone who's been bashed through the head and yeah. Um, so um, yeah, she does look very thrilling and really rather um, uh, nasty. And so there's a, a, an assault by all the uh, possessed people. They manage to drag Walter through a hole in the wall they've dug just as the uh, possessed people come in and, and try and grab him. And uh, someone comes in through the door and they stab him in the eye with a chopstick and Birax fires a, a can of coke into his face. It's great. And someone drops a pocket mirror. Mm. And Kelly pokes her fingers through the mirror into another realm. Indeed, which is... Um... And I think she catches sight of herself as well in that mirror. Um, and this is where suddenly the mirror's bit gets uh, r- rather important. And that it's the portal, basically. Yeah. And so Carpenter's got a problem here, which is I actually have to pay off the appearance of the Prince of Darkness, because my film's called that. Um, and what do you do? Because on the other side of the mirror, uh, what do you show? A huge cavern with flames everywhere? Um, no. So he goes down the Samuel Beckett route. Cameo by Christopher Lee. Just standing there in a business suit, going, welcome. Welcome. That would work. Mm-hmm. And then cuts the credits. That would work really well. Um, but but no, he basically does this all black. It's all bit, And um, I know we've mentioned this film over and over again um, a lot over the last couple of years, but um, Under the Skin. It's, it's um, uh, The Void. Yeah, and we don't get to see um, the Dark Lord apart from his fingertips, and they're they're bloody huge, and they're monstrous, and that's terrifying because you think okay, the scale because these days they do a CGI thing of the whole, you know, they do that that monster that appeared at the end of Torchwood series, whatever it was. Oh yeah, remember that horrible thing, Abaddon, yeah, yeah, and have him literally stomping across the landscape, totally nuking any sense of. Of visceral fear or, or anything like well, that. Well, you look at a lot of independent horror films now. They seem to be going more back to basics. Mm-hmm, yeah. Films like um, It Follows or Hereditary. It's conceptual, things. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so the idea of pulling back, being more suggestive rather than explicit, mm. I can imagine taking that route now. And also, it's budget conscious. Absolutely. I mean, that, that yeah. the, the other realm stuff was filmed in a tented off swimming pool. I think the, the flip these days to slightly more intelligent um, conceptual horror is also a reaction to torture porn. Cause, um, it's gone so far in that direction. It did. It went stupidly. Um, gore upon gore. And now, I saw Hereditary. I, I wasn't very impressed by it. It doesn't really hang Tell me I need to see this film. Um, do you? Well, I got an email from my nephew who said that uh, particularly the opening scene freaked him out. And he was really unnerved when he left the cinema. Opening scene. Mm. A lot of people have talked about the opening scene of Hereditary. It's, I'm not well without going to spoilers. It's quite an impressive little sequence, but it's not a horror sequence. It's, oh, okay. it's more like that's a clever bit of filmmaking there. Okay, well let's hit pause on Hereditary. I'll okay. go and have a, uh, I wouldn't uh, recommend it personally, more because I thought it it doesn't work and it's. It's like, I've heard it goes bananas at the end. It's like two films badly mashed into oh, each okay. other, and only one of them's any good. 
Okay. Uh, the mirror blazes with light, and um, guess what Donald's found? He's found a big axe. So that might be handy for chopping up wood to put in the boiler. See, that all makes sense, doesn't it? And the obvious connection now is to a failed cinema limbo entry, uh, which is Jean Cocteau's Orpheus. which originally was going to be a cinema limbo movie and I abandoned it because my disc didn't work and then I decided actually no this is not a good enough choice that's a very highbrow interesting um, choice yeah in retrospect yeah this is people actually do know and respect Jean Cocteau this is probably Mm. too well known Mm. Um, but the idea of um, a mirror as a Surface of water that you can pass through, and the other realm is under is filmed at underwater. Is it Cocteau's Belle and La Bette, which is full of mirrors? Beautiful pronunciation. Pull it passing through um, portals that was ripped off for um, Doctor Who's Warriors Gate. I think there's a lot of iconography from La Belle and La Bette that's ripped off for Warriors Gate, but passing through mirrors into the underworld that Standard. is that's directly lifted from Orpheus. Okay. I'm not sure if it's. I mean, it, it may well be in the original Greek myth, but but in a in a in a present day context, um, it's from Orpheus. I did Orpheus and Eurydice for uh, GCSE Latin, and I can't remember there being any mirrors. I think he's just got a. He goes down to the underworld, and he's not allowed to look back at her. It's, um, yes. So when he he does, he loses her forever. Um, I think, and here this is why we're going to switch roles. I think this is pure budget uh, reasons. Um, uh, but it just really works. Which, which parts? The void, the mirror, void, and the t- uh, the fingertips of a monster. Did I not just say that? Mm. Well, I've said it again. Well, I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> we are as one. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is the idea that sometimes it's good if you can't afford to do things. Yeah, minimalism is where it's at. Um, imagination, leave leave a gap for it. Um, Brian, of course, absolutely cacks his pants because um, the one person who decides to come in and and um, and put her hand through the flipping mirror um, is his his latest squeeze, um, uh, our red-headed heroine. No, what are you talking about? She passes through the mirror. You've jumped over oh, like sorry. ten minutes. Sorry. No, I'm um, fast-forwarding. Kelly. Pregnant with the devil's child, oh, that's true. Comes in and she and she's pushing her hand through, and Donald Pleasance leaps out, chops her arm off with an axe. Sorry, yes, I've and another arm spurts all this out, stuff. chops her head off with an axe, and she picks it up and pops it back on. <laughs> How could I miss that? Well, I've been on. Uh, you've been you've been on the marshmallows. I've, yes, I have. And with with no other choice, no other option, Catherine runs forward grabs Kelly and they both dive through the mirror and Pleasance throws the axe and the mirror smashes and, I'm and, we, sure. see, and we see that that horrible shot of both of them tra- trapped in the other realm unnerving. and Catherine reaching out towards the flickering light as it disappears and her face seems to be slightly distorted it looks like a death mask mm. and um, that's, that is genuinely uh, crazy and if um, there, there are scenes in Under the Skin which um, are are just as unnerving. Bodies popping, um, not not like the dance. No, not not like <laughs> not uh, like pop and rock. No, far far from it. Um, and whilst all this is going on, uh, Brian's on the floor screaming no, um, 
because uh, uh, he never got to say to the girl of his dreams that he's been stalking um, uh, that um, he loved her. But with the, the the Prince of Darkness banished, all the, the possessed people collapse and this vapour mm. goes out of their lips, all the homeless people wander away. Eventually Walter climbs out of a window and runs for Yeah, help. now I thought that... Um, I was a bit annoyed that Walter didn't get a bit of a kicking for uh, his constant bleating and... Um, uh, but he he does two things. He gets the police... And then we get a shot of him looking very contemplative. Yeah. Which is, okay, I'm going to allow that you've learned a lesson here, which is to, um, well, frankly, stop treating all the women like they're um, rubbish and uh, and such. It's not quite the end of the film, though. No. Uh, the, <laughs> the, priest, the priest is taken away in an ambulance mm. for his injuries, and he mm. seems pleased that they've stopped it. And then we have another dream. Unfortunately, just when you thought that's that, all the way through, we as they have this dream of a, a figure emerging from the church, we don't get a good look at the figure mm. of any kind. Mm. It's actually played by the same actor who played Calder. Oh, right, not that you can tell, but in this last dream, but hang on a minute, every time you see this dream, there is it gets a little bit further along along the year we are transmitting from this particular year, yeah, and in the last dream. This one now, we finally hear the full year. Yeah. And it's 1999. Yeah. And I love that they say it like that because it just sounds yeah. weird. And we get a, we get a look, good look at the figure and it's somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's Catherine. Yes. At which point Brian wakes up in his own bed at home. He does. He does wake up um, with a nasty, uh, disfigured woman next to him. He really shouldn't have had those cheddar cheese sandwiches before he, he went to bed at night. And then, but then he wakes up again. Yes, as you do. It's, it's the, even it's, I use that. It's in the, the double story. nightmare. Yeah. Um, and there's a wonderfully elegant, poetic final shot as he reaches towards the mirror on the wall. His fingertips just about to touch, and then, and then cuts yes. to black. Perfect, well done, Mr. Carpenter. And uh, when, w- there's no explanation for for um, um, w- what's going to happen in 1999. Um, there's no Prince of Darkness two, where we 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 meet the team of scientists who transmit backwards. Um, it is left wonderfully up to your imagination, and whether or not it makes sense or not is is neither here nor there. But it's um, the footage of that transmission. It's it's degraded slightly, so it genuinely it's, looks like it's come from. It's shot on video and then filmed from a monitor. Mm. So it's very very bit of simple tech, but it looks just sort of scratchy and yeah. ropey and like you know they've had to like boost the power to get even this yeah. through. I think it's a, a great little film. Um, it's a shame that it's as obscure as it is. Yeah, because it's. It's Carpenter really trying to do something a little bit more thoughtful, a bit mm, weightier, mm. a bit more thematic rather than you know, one of his usual Hawksian adventure films, perhaps. Compared to something like They Live? I think the two make a nice little pair. I think it's great evenings viewing. Because they, they I mean, certainly, well, which way around would you watch them, though? Um, I'd like to watch Prince of Darkness later in the night, I think. Because um, uh, They Live is... Pretty much a comedy. Um, yeah, I can see what you mean. It's, I, uh, it's very satirical. It's may having a lot of fun at the expense of action movies. And actually, your point about whether the homeless people are basically exploited in this film 
if you look at in they live mm, they are treated with mm, absolute, absolute dignity and abs- they are the heroes of the movie absolutely and the opening shot is of the of the guy the traveler coming out of the background of the the city and and there's your hero the vagabonds the uh, the you know going from place to place so that's a very different thing but no I don't think Carpenter's got a problem with, with that at all no I think um, as with so many elements in this film he just puts it out there here, here you are you, you think about it you fill in the gaps and because you think of the 80s as being very materialistic very selfish very orientated around money you think oh everyone hated homeless people except Carpenter was always really out of step with that so it's more, look at all these vulnerable people being exploited by this horrible force. Mm-hmm. And in his next movie, it's look at all these vulnerable people who are having the shit kicked out of them by this, mm-hmm. by this powerful force. This is a very well-crafted film. Um, it does make me wonder, what happened to John Carpenter? Why was the rest... Why did it go so rocky? And why haven't we had um, every you know, couple of years for the last 15 years... A late period resurgence because he's a craftsman he clearly do it it's a matter i think of getting money uh, even martin scorsese has said that he's had difficulty mm, getting projects off the ground because mm, the money is that's tight. very true every time as i said every time carpenter wants to do a big passion project with the studio funding it's been a commercial disaster mm. even though every time it's turned out to be actually a very good movie usually i think um I definitely think he is um, a, a filmmaker. I think in the age of, of um, uh, TV that we're going through, it would be very tempting to get uh, him uh, to do a ten-part series. Can you imagine him directing an episode of Stranger Things? It's almost too much to hope for. I think the issue there is that Stranger Things is very much authored by mm. uh, its the two, its... ex-brothers. What are they called? Um, the Duff. The Duffer brothers. The Duffer brothers. Yeah. Um, and it's very much but they their wouldn't baby. be able to resist. Surely they. Must well, that's have. the thing. I I'd want Carpenter to to be allowed to do his own thing. Mm-hmm. There was the anthology series Masters of Horror, for oh, which right. he directed two episodes, mm-hmm. and it's just an anthology series. You know, you got an hour and ten minutes, do whatever you want. And the two episodes he did are probably the worst two things he's ever done. <laughs> Yikes! Um, cigarette burns and pro life. Oh God, that doesn't sound like. Uh... Uh, woman's pregnant with a demon baby again. And she uh, goes to uh, an abortion clinic, but her uh, hard right anti abortion family are there, and um, Ron Perlman's in it, and it's not very good. Okay, Cigarette Burns is effectively just a retread of it in the Mouth of Madness, but also with um, Udo Kier and um, Norman Reedus. It's the only other thing I've ever seen Norman Reedus in. I he uh, John Carpenter either wrote or or or. um or patronised a book about classic Hollywood monsters uh, a couple of years ago, which, uh, again, was a present to my nephew. Beautiful book. Uh, best pictures, fantastic text, a real love of, of the craft of it. Um, so, yeah, it's a pity. It's a great little film, and I agree with you. Um, pair it up with um, pair it up with anything, really. Um, any of his own. Um, but, yeah, I do... Um... Well, he, Carpenter has his own apocalypse trilogy, as he refers to it. Oh, really? Of... The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. That's an interesting trilogy. Wow. Yeah, I can see that working. Um, I would say um, my own preferences would be to to, uh, to watch this along with The Fog. But actually, I'd say um, The Fog would drag this down a bit. I think this is a better made film than The Fog. And also it's got more meat to it. It's got oh, more absolutely. stuff in it. The Fog is a very simple ghost story. Yeah. With, with a little bit of subtext. But the main, I think the main problem is that 
he watched the first cut. It was an hour and five minutes and it didn't work. And he had to beg for more money to reshoot it and get it to work. Mm, that doesn't sound like a pleasant production experience. No, I mean, it, I mean, it turned out well. The movie was a hit. Um, it allowed him to do um, Escape from New York, which was also a hit. Mm. Um, but uh, he, he really doesn't rate it at all. I, I, I think it's, 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 it's quite good. It's got some really great sequences. It's got some beautiful visuals. It has great music. It's got some great performances. Mm. But as a whole, it's yes. the, 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 pl- the plot makes no sense at all. I, I agree. It's less than the sum of its parts. Uh, I mean, what's with the sailor who comes back to life in the morgue and then carves the number three into the floor? <laughs> that that has absolutely no explanation yeah. whatsoever in the course of the movie. Yeah, I'm not going to defend that. Um, but it, as an but atmosphere that, piece. But that was reshot as an extra bit because it's deliberately harking back to Halloween with someone coming back to life with Jamie Lee Curtis in the foreground. Oh, and yes, an, yeah, extra, yeah. an extra spooky bit to add in because the film had no spooky Sell bits. tickets. Mm. The whole, his whole idea was how do we do a ghost story that has no ghosts on screen? And it turns out you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably really calling it fog. You can't see it. So, um, well, it's in- and it's interesting that you should mention uh, Carpenter going back to TV because I have a pitch for rebooting <sighs> Halloween. Okay, hit me. An eight-part series adapting the first two movies. Okay. So it's much more of a a drama about not just. Michael Myers stalking and murdering people, but the impact of this story has on the whole town. Okay. This is the dark secret at the middle of Haddonfield. That 15 years earlier, a six-year-old child butchered his own family and was carted away to the, the loony asylum. And it's spoken about in hushed tones. The house where it happened is this, this place where you, you're too scared even to set foot. And you have the idea that something that I think has been lost in the, the later Halloween movies that Michael Myers is he's, he's credited in the original film as the shape oh right just the shape and the only thing of him that you see as an adult the only um, the only bit of his him physically you see is his hands he's wearing overalls boots a mask if he was wearing gloves as well not only would that be a nice reference to Italian giallo, where the, mm-hmm. always, the murderer is always wearing black gloves. You wouldn't be able to see any part of him. It would almost be like he was mm-hmm. an empty suit of clothes. Just this, this scooped out void mm-hmm. of... White face, mask, death mask. Nothing underneath. Yeah, no humanity. Yeah. So you have a nice little shot where you pull the mask away and there's just a void. There. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that. No, he's, no, he's physically a man, but you don't show that. Okay, yeah. He is an absence of humanity. He is a void. And in the 15 years that Dr. Loomis has been treating him, he's been staring into the abyss, and the abyss has been staring back at him and rotting him away. This has to happen, Jeremy. I think you need to get writing. I don't like the whole idea of Michael and Laurie being brother and sister. That's silly, and Carpenter admits that it's silly. He was stuck. I've only seen the first Halloween film, so all bets are off. So it sounds to me like you want to do um, what the Fargo series does with Fargo. Basically, um, use that as a jumping off point, but then open it up. Yeah. Yeah. And you could end you could end it the same way that Halloween two ends. Halloween two is supposed to be Don't the, tell me how it ends. The end. Mm. And then they just ignore that with the following movies. Um Halloween two isn't that great. Well it just seems to me as a as a lay um uh, person when it comes to Halloween that they're just continually remaking bloody Halloween films. I mean, I've lost count of the number of times it's a reboot, it's 
hooray, we've got Jamie Lee Curtis back. Um, I, I, you know, I've completely lost the plot with with all of it. All I wanted to see was the first one, which is a nice, scary movie. That's a lot. Well, upcoming, we have the eleventh Halloween film, <laughs> and I'm going to show you the trailer in a little bit. Okay. Um, Carpenter's involved again, and he is is act, actively enjoying being involved, and he hasn't done that since the first one. Jamie Lee Curtis is back. Um, a lot of the people who worked on the first film are back. Mm, okay. Uh, signs are encouraging. Mm, mm, okay. So we'll see. Well, remains to be seen. But um, it's nice to know that his Carpenter's legacy as a filmmaker is still being embraced now. Yes, I, I completely agree. I think it's... Um... He has such an extraordinary body of work, mm. and so little of it is... Really, I mean, Prince of Darkness is virtually forgotten. Mm. Starman is weirdly neglected, I But think. the thing is everywhere. The thing is everywhere, and quite right too. Mm. In the Mouth of Madness, not available. Yeah, yeah. Even, even the, the last one he did, The Ward, is a pretty decent little spook story. There needs to be a nice little Criterion box set. I think they're a nice little criterion release of literally anything he's done. Mm, I mean, I mean, commentaries. they could. Do, I mean, there's no decent Blu-ray release of Halloween in the UK. That's perfect for Criterion because mm. they happily release Night of the Living Dead and Carnival of Souls. So it's not like they're, they're yeah. precious about this at all. Mm. I mean, they released Armageddon on the grounds that it's a great, uh, you know, an ideal example of whatever it is. Yeah, right. So <coughs> Halloween being. You know, ground zero for modern horror. Yeah, should have a prestige release. Exactly. Well, uh, another another triumph for Cinema Limbo. Um, Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, a good late night film. Loved the transmissions from the future. Good. That really, that really, um, that really, uh, yeah, that got to me. And when I click my fingers, you'll wake up. One, two. Thanks to Anthony for making the time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is on iTunes with more than 50 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. We're also on Twitter, at Cinema underscore Limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help us with our running costs. I'm also participating in the upcoming Alzheimer's Society Memory Walk in October, so please head over to the Just Giving page at www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash MW308839 to sponsor me. However, until next time, I live. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.